it reminds me of my two mates who started a, a Scottish fantasy football podcast. And my God, that was, it was it was a shambles. They invited me on as a guest one time, and honestly, they, they had no idea what they were doing. Not that I was saying you have no idea what you do. You clearly have a better idea than them. You know, we get asked this a lot, Finn. A lot of people will always ask me, what's the most amazing whiskey you've ever tasted? And, and so often they expect me to say some 50-year-old Glenlivet, you know, bottled by a scamp from the Highlands somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that could be true. Of course, it could be true. Um, but I think it is. It's one of those that people always ask us those questions. And it is this dream of getting your hands on some of the rarest stock within whiskey because the perception is Finn, that it's so prestigious as you know um, and, it, and it's perceived to be so valuable um, now it's so interesting because when I worked at McAllen I was very aware of the Thompson name and its involvement with whiskey um, and, and I guess it's just a sort of a starter and give us a little introduction to yourself and how you've ended up working in whiskey because it's a cool story eh? yeah um so, so I suppose that the starting point is that I was always aware that the family had this quite, you know, fantastic relationship with the whiskey industry. Um, you know, and I knew that it went back a long, long way. Certainly, I was aware that my, my grandfather was uh, the, the managing director and, and owner of, of Peter Thompson's, uh, who were, you know, amongst other things, a, a blender producing Ben Eagle's whiskey but also a distributor of, of various other brands. And I kind of knew that it went beyond that as well, that there was a, a further family history. But, you know, when you're a kid, you don't, you don't know so much about all the, the in-depth parts of that. Um, but yeah, because of that, I've always, I've always had a fascination with the whiskey industry. I think it's always been the kind of desired career for me as well, um, partly because it's a, a hobby at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I suppose there's always been something within me looking back at, at it being the old family business, uh, but it no longer being the family business for the last 30 odd years. And there's been something within me that's made me think, let's get it going again. Let's uh, let's kickstart it. Let's bring it back to life. And I suppose that's why I am where I am at the moment, which is trying to, to relaunch the family business in the form of Finn Thompson Whiskey. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been quite the journey over the last few years, and uh, a lot of it's been about learning more about the family history and and you know doing a little bit more research, not just about my granddad's time, but about his granddad before him, and actually the the whole nine generations of family that we've discovered have a have a direct link to the industry going all the way back to to 1772, which may make us the oldest whiskey family in Scotland, potentially the world, but I'm not sure I can confidently make that claim. I'm sure there's others who might who might uh, claim that themselves. But uh, yeah, now, now we're obviously at the point where we're trying to launch Finn Thompson Whiskey. And I suppose it's it's based off the back of, gosh, 10, coming up to 10 years in the industry, I, I joined my local whiskey company, uh, which at the time was called the Scottish Liqueur Centre. They morphed into um, Morrison Mackay. Uh, they made Bruder whiskey liqueur as well as Carn Moore uh, single cast bottlings. Yeah. Um, worked for them for about 
four years, perhaps, uh, starting off as a sales trainee and kind of morphing into a more kind of um, European sales role by the end of it. And then uh, at the end of the four years, I ended up getting approached by, uh, by Andrew Torrance, who was one of my customers when he was running the whiskey shop. And he asked me to, to come and work for, for him at Copper Dog, which was at the time a, a new venture, a joint venture between uh, the, the independent team that was based at the Craig Elke Hotel um, alongside Diageo, who were kind of backing the project. And they initially asked me to be uh, the US brand ambassador and, you know, so, sold me the dream of, of, of going out there and, and uh, representing Copper Dog, doing, doing tastings all over America, which at the time just seemed like the perfect job. I ended up not getting a visa. And I think it coincided with Trump getting into power at the same time. Oh, all of a sudden, uh, things got a little bit tricky and uh, I ended up down in London instead and did the same role, but based down in London for a few years uh, yeah. before, you know, eventually deciding that that I'd had enough of the, the big smoke and uh, thought it was about time to, to come and do my own thing and move back up here to do that. See, see when you were a little thing, I mean, it's always interesting working with guys like Richard Patterson, whose family was also involved in whiskey. And you meet, uh, Mitch has met a lot of these guys up in Speyside at Glenfiddich and things who are second, third and fourth generation. Was it, was it growing up in bottling holes and sniffing casks as a youngster or was it, was it quite different to that for you? Not not quite. So my, my, my grandfather sold sold the whiskey company, uh, sold Peter Thompson's in 1983-84. Um, I was born in 1991. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I was 38 at that point. 91. <laughs> I think I was a I think I went to a Rage Against Machine concert in 91. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, gosh, yeah. So so actually, I I missed out on on you know growing up directly within the industry uh, I've got more stories from my dad who, who's got great stories of of things like giving a, a lift to Sandy Grant Gordon so my, one, of, one of the things that my granddad used to do was take uh, take industry colleagues out on these wild camping trips he'd he tried to to reenact uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie's escape from Culloden out to the west coast and he'd invite you know, his friends who were industry legends out on those trips. And I believe the, the only rule was that they were only allowed to bring oats, dried oats and a bottle of whiskey from each of their distilleries. Uh, and, and that's all they could survive on. Everything else they'd have to either catch or, or forage. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah, amazing stories. And, and I remember my dad saying that he had to give a lift to, to a few of them once. And um, he ended up picking up one of them up, maybe Sandy Grant Gordon or, or, or John Grant. He said, oh, and, and who are you? <laughs> and uh, the guys were like, well, you know, I, I, uh, I own Glenfarglas Distillery. <laughs> so he was, he was quickly put back in his place. But so, yeah, that, that probably grew up around it more so than I did. But he was, he was just about to start his own career at that time when, when, the, when the company was sold and had to create his own path he became a, a lawyer but uh he's always I think that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so happy that I'm doing it with him now uh, is that I think he's always had an inkling that he he's he feels like he's missed out on, on part of this journey so to get to do that with him now is is you know a really nice part of it um but yeah I suppose my my early memories 
I, I remember seeing lots of bottles of Ben Eagles around the house. You might recognize some of them. You know, Ben Eagles was famous for, for having uh, the ceramic series. They had the Birds of Prey, they had the chess sets. And I remember seeing a lot of them as a kid. I remember knocking one over and breaking one once and getting a bit of trouble about uh-huh. that. Uh, it's only worth 150 grand now, Finn. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> it maybe increased the value of them. There's, there's one less out there. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and and I suppose my first real taste of of getting directly into the industry was when my grandfather kind of let the rest of the family know that that not when he sold the company, he decided to keep hold of the casks that that would have gone towards the Ben Eagles blend, and that's the reason why we've got such an amazing collection of old whiskey. Uh, my grandfather's a, an avid collector and he's he's uh, he loves holding on to things and he's done the same with a lot of the casks of whiskey that, that he could well have sold back in the day. Um, and I remember I remember being a, a late teenager and getting taken up to Glenfarclas where some of the casks are, are stored uh, and going up to meet uh, John and George and, and we had a, a tasting of gosh, must have been about 20, 30 different samples that we had put in front of us. And it was a lot of kind of nosing of them. And then we we had dinner with with, uh, with the family. And that was all quite a surreal experience. As a, as a late teenager, you don't really understand what, what's going on at that time. But it's, it's a nice little taste to say, you know, there's there's something amazing about this industry and there's something quite special about it. And I suppose from that time, it was just a case of slowly having more of these little experiences to to kind of push me towards going into the industry properly yeah very cool and so let's talk about the, these casks that, you, that you've got i mean you've obviously um you've just released some very old whiskies um a 50 year old uh 30 is it 31 or 32 you've got yeah we've got the 50 year old glenlivet um we've also got a 34 year old uh dufton so it's still in 1987, uh, a 32-year-old Ockintoshan, uh, 89, and we've also uh, got a 34-year-old North British, 88 as well. So those are the kind of the big four um, uh, old ones that we're, we're launching with. Yeah, and when you I'm really looking forward. Are... Sorry, Mitch, I'm going to cut you off um, because I've got samples and you don't. What the so... There's a script yeah. and you've got samples? <laughs> Dad, you told me you'd share it. You know, yeah, yeah. You know I, 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 I said to you, Finn, it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would be because of the, the terrible uh, present I also gave to you when we met up to, to hand the samples over. We, uh... Wait to hear this, right? Wait to hear this. This is brilliant. So I met Finn to pick up the samples the other day and uh, bumped into him outside the Johnny Walker Princess Street, as planned, half past three on the button. Finn, great to see you. High fives, little cuddle. And somehow I ended up with seagull shit all over my hand, right? <laughs> and I'm looking at my hands going, how have I got bird shit all over me? And I'm looking at his hands and there's none on him whatsoever. And what had happened was a, a bird had crapped all over his shoulder. And <laughs> not, quite, not quite all over, it was a wee dollop. <laughs> well, <laughs> most of it ended up on my hands. It, it was <laughs> Brilliant. There's, there's only one thing I don't believe about that story and the fact that you were on time, Daz. I wasn't. It, well, he he says it was three thirty. They were meant to be. It was three o'clock, and it ended up being about three thirty. Yeah, three thirty-eight. <laughs> Story of my life, mate. See these older whiskies, then, Finn. When you're selecting casks, I know you've got a a good inventory there. What's the process for you? Are you 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 going yourself? Have you got someone there 
behind you also sort of giving you a few nudges going that cask is exactly what it should be or that one needs another couple of years perhaps because it's quite is it quite fragile at this stage of their life isn't it yeah yeah absolutely and and you know we've we've got dozens of these old casks and they require obviously quite careful management um i've been keeping an eye on them quite closely since since starting officially doing doing you know the family business um been taking regular samples and just trying to keep an eye on them and getting them a little bit better managed and you know it's absolutely the case that not all of them are going to be right for bottling it you know we, we have to have a degree of honesty about it all and not everything's going to be uh, fantastic drinking just because it's old and rare um and i think i suppose there there's got to be a little bit of honesty about that because so many people will tell you or, or or try and sell a whiskey based on its age and based on its rarity that that it's worth a certain amount just because of that but in reality it's not the case and as you said these things can be incredibly fragile they can go over the edge very very quickly uh, become too woody they can lose abv they can leak you know all, all sorts of things can happen and i suppose that's been one of the the major jobs in the last five years is getting right on top of that and, and understanding the stock that we have so um when we were you know thinking about the first set of of, of bottlings that we're doing where we wanted to launch with some old ones that that were going to make a bit of noise obviously and i think the the glenlivet 1970 obviously does that uh we did we, we it's already bottled uh we we bottled it last year actually because it had turned 50 um i'd been keeping an eye on it very very carefully from about 46 onwards and taking regular samples and I think we've hit the absolute sweet spot with it being 50. Uh, when you do taste it, it's, it's, it's still got that freshness. It's still got that kind of liveliness that, that you'd hope from a slightly younger whiskey, but um, the wood's given it nice kind of tobacco notes, nice licorice notes. I do think it, it, it's the kind of whiskey where if you left it too long, it would become too woody. It would become too bitter. Um, and for that reason, we didn't want it to hit 55, 60. The ABV on it was still fantastic. It's about 50% alcohol still. The volume of it was decent as well. So you could have left it in the cask for much, much longer. But from a, a tasting point of view, it was it was very much ready for, for bottling. Um, but yeah, when, when we're trying to choose uh, all the casks, I suppose it's... it's I'm trying to base it on, on more than just taste. I think one of the things I want to achieve with the bottlings, and, and it's partly because it's my name that's that's going on the bottle, is to give each cask a little bit more of a personal story to it all. Um, to try and get across that there's a reason for bottling things beyond purely just taste and the fact that it's a certain age and a certain distillery. And it's it's something I'm going to do within the packaging. I'm going to put a story of each cask on, on the kind of back label of each bottle which will explain, I suppose, my kind of personal relationship with each cask and how, how it is that I've, I've come to, to choose that one. Um, the North British, as, as an example, um, which I think you've got in front of you here. I do. It, I do it in front of me here. I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk you through it, Mitch. <laughs> yeah, I'll um, tell you all about it, Mitch. Tell you all about it. For me, it's, it's, a, it's a cask that's got a really good connection to the family story um it's it's not so north british was actually the the key component of the ben eagles blend uh, from, from a grain point of view and, and therefore from a, a general point of view made up the backbone of of ben eagles so uh, there's a there's a really good family connection there 
Um, and actually, my grandfather was one of the kind of shareholders of North, North British uh, up until he kind of left the industry. So um, it's, it's got good connections to the family. My personal connection to when you talk about early whiskey memories, North British is probably actually my first whiskey memory, although I didn't know it at the time. So um, I'm a big Hearts fan uh, and I like my rugby. So early kind of childhood memories of sport would often be going to Tynecastle Stadium or Murrayfield. And when you're a kid and you're, you're walking along that direction, you get this amazing smell and you're not quite sure what it is other than something very, very boozy. But it turns out that it is actually North British and it's that kind of like multi spell from the distillery. So for me, this, this whiskey was important to include in the first set of releases because it's got that personal at attachment to me. It reminds me of kind of childhood trips to, to go and watch Hearts get beat and go and watch Scotland get beat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and it's a fantastic whiskey as well. And I, I suppose that's, that's what I'm trying to get across with, with all the, all the re releases that I'll do. They'll have, some kind of storytelling element which is a, a personal connection to me which i think is important when when your name is on the bottle yeah i think i think it's really important when we talk about rare and age whiskies i think the story is so so important and we're always digging around for that why that cask you know why was that one left what was it that the decision making process who was involved always so interested and it's funny actually because we did some work on old grains uh, over at White Mackay. We had Invergordon, of course, um, but we also had some nice casks of Port Dundas as well. Um, and Mitch has been doing some work recently. He's got some lovely old Gervins. Uh, it's actually first drops to run off that distillery, um, which is really, really cool. And I'm always interested to try old grains. It's something that we don't always get a chance to do, right? Um, and uh, my first memories of Cameron Bridge, actually, uh, I grew up in Fife and I remember just watching the lights twinkling away and just thinking, oh, what's that? I thought it was a spaceship. My mum turns around and tells me it was a distillery. So it's not dissimilar to yours, Finn. It's just these little memories, isn't it? Little snippets of, of time. And But this, this whiskey is actually lovely. It's got a lovely fennel, almost sort of slightly aromatic kind of soft, fresh spiciness to it. It's really nice. Yeah, I mean... For me, it was old, old grain. When you get it to this age, obviously you're getting these lovely, lovely sweet notes a lot of the time, and and often it's it's moving into almost a more kind of like aged aged rum kind of characteristic. For me, I I get definite elements of like salted caramel and and um you know a little bit of toffee, but you can also see it going a little bit tropical as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah easy drinking whiskey strength and it's still really really high it's, i think it's still coming in about 50 58 58.5 so still quite a, a a chunky whiskey but actually easy drinking sweet smooth um and as you said it's, it's actually quite complex for an old green whiskey there's there's yeah. lots going on with it as well yeah um it's quite interesting we've got we've got gosh about uh, 10 casks of, of, of this old uh, vintage of North British, the 1988s that we've got. And, and they're, all, they're all slightly different. It's amazing how they do just go slightly different paths. And I suppose grain sometimes maybe takes slightly longer than, than, the, than the single malt cask that we have to, to find that kind of separate path. But um, it will be interesting to see when we, when we bottle the next you know, sister cask of this whiskey how different it is and you know that'll all be part of the, the storytelling and, and hopefully part of what people can buy into going forwards if they if they've bought a bottle of this then in in two years time when we bottle the next kind of cast next to it then then hopefully people want to be, you know come on that journey yeah 
And when you're when you're, to, when you're just on that that note, Finn, when you're talking about the the future bottlings, are you guys going to continue around about this this age statement? Do you have those kind of stocks? Yeah, um, we'll always do a combination, and, and that's a big part of you know the business going forward. Is we can't rely on only bottling old whiskey. So within the first set of of releases, we're also doing what we're kind of co- calling the core range, which is stock that that I've I've got hold of in the last few years and typically that will be you know between i don't know 6 and 16 years old um so so and and that's probably more my you know my contribution towards the family uh, portfolio stock things that i've picked up over the years and and maybe a little bit more experimental as well uh, trying some interesting re-racks but again coming back to this this kind of key point which is doing things with with meaning and doing things with a bit of story behind it as well um so i think the the best example of which uh, within the first releases anyway, we've got a 13-year-old inch gower that, that we're releasing. So uh, I re-racked it into a Torres red wine cask back in, I think, September 2020. And the reason for it being Torres was that, well, number, number one, my grandfather imported Torres back in the 70s and 80s. So it was one of the wineries that he was the selling agent for within Scotland. So we had a a really good family connection there uh, so much so that when I turned 18 I was sent packing out to to uh, Penedes which is where uh, their their kind of tourist tourist center is uh, and I did a summer out there doing wine tastings and tours uh, and you know had a great great summer having a lot of fun and, and drinking a lot of wine but ultimately making a little relationship with those guys out there as well I remember Miguel Torres who's the kind of the owner of the company uh, pulling me in on the last day, and I remember him saying, "If you ever, if you ever do anything with wine, get in touch. If it, obviously I know that you're you're involved in whiskey, so if you ever do anything with whiskey going forward, please get in touch, and we're always here to help." And I remembered that um, coming, you know, as we were beginning this project, and picked up the phone to them, uh, gave them a real, little reminder of, of who I was, and and they were more than happy to help with with sending out some some Torres red wine casts. And I thought, well, if you're going to re-rack something into red wine, as as a lot of people are, why not try and do it with a little bit of story? So there's there's some kind of meaning behind it. It's not just any old red wine cast that you've picked up from from a, a cooperage. It's actually something that's a little bit more considered. Uh, and I think that's the strategy going forward. It's trying to play on elements of the family story or my own personal story that's that's still to come and, and trying to to put that into the bottlings that we that we do. Brilliant. Um let's chat about this last whiskey um that you kindly gave us, um, which is is it the Duff Town, did you say? It is, yeah. Yeah. Daz, did you say gave us there? Yeah, us, yeah, yeah. You you will get your will get yours. Yeah. Are you gonna keep some back? Nah. <laughs> they're not to be fair they're not big samples so uh i'm sure i'm sure you'll polish them off um yeah the the duftons the duftons really interesting and again like many things that independent bottlers do get their hands on you you don't well i, well, I suppose you do see you see a singleton don't you but it's probably one of these kind of distilleries that goes under the radar a little bit um and you know, in all honesty, it wasn't a distillery I knew masses, masses about when I was first kind of looking in, into the stocks that we had. And it wasn't until we, you know, we lined it up for bottling and, and somewhat based on, on the flavour of it, because I think it's a cracking dram. But I wanted to find out a little bit more about 
the distillery and uh, got in touch with a, a few of the guys from from Diageo. Irv was was incredibly helpful. Uh, Stuart Morrison as well, who, who's one of the blenders there, were both able to to give some real good nuggets of information about the the distillery, which make it just a little bit more interesting than than some of the the other kind of old whiskies that we had in the stock. And uh, essentially, what what Irv has has been telling me is that. There was a, a change in, in distillery style uh, back in the back in the 90s. So uh, this is 1987 and would have been one of the last casks or, or last casks filled with the old distillery style. Um, and they changed the style to, to try and make it, I believe, a little bit more kind of more grassy and move away from a kind of nutty character. Um, I believe, and I'm not I'm not sure if I'm meant to be sharing all of this, but uh, the, the the blenders. Uh, term for the old style of Dufton was called cake mix. Yeah. Um, now, not a term that I'd heard before, and quite quite an interesting one. I've never heard any other kind of uh, distillery character described as that. But you can you can kind of get elements of that when when you're tasting it. It's it's still a little bit biscuity, but it's got a lovely lovely kind of sweet element to it. Again. Um, People have picked out all sorts of, of wacky tasting notes with it. It's got bitter chocolate. Uh, it's going tropical fruits again. Uh, so a super complex whiskey. But I suppose what's what's really interesting about it to me is that it's a style of whiskey that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And when you're talking about old whiskies and, and the appeal of old whiskies and, and that whole uh, rarity element, this plays exactly into that because you're tasting a whiskey that quite simply won't be produced again. That style of whiskey from Dufton just will never exist. Uh, so to be able to bottle it and to be able to bottle it at such a, a good age is is quite appealing. It's really nutty. It's, it's like pistachios. You know, you've got that like saltiness, that bitterness, but it's a pleasant bitterness. It's You do have the cake mix with the sweetness and the creaminess and all the butters and all of that. But it has that, it's a really unusual flavour profile. It really is. And it, it really hangs around on the palate fin. It, it lasts a long time. It's not a heavy, big whiskey, but the, it does linger on. And I guess that cask, I'll be interested to know because I, I don't know the strength of it, but I guess that's held on to its strength fairly well, that cask, yeah. Yeah, it's 54.7. Yeah, nice. So, you know, it's it's still still pretty chunky. And uh, yeah, again, could, could have left it for a bit longer, but the, the thing that made me want to bottle it was that that slight kind of bitter chocolate note that I know mm. that sometimes if, if you let that develop too much, then it can maybe just go over the edge. And, and I don't think it's anywhere near that at this point in time. Um, but, you know, it's it's ready for bottling. And again, we're lucky enough to have two sister casks for this whiskey as well. So we'll, we'll get to see how they develop and maybe let them get a little bit older and, and see where they go. Mate, it's so cool to hear about these whiskeys. Um and what a brilliant inventory of, of rare and age stock you've got. And being able to look after that, there must be a bit of pressure on your shoulders, Finn. Because <laughs> you've not only got the whiskey to look after, you've got the family name to look after as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it, do you know, it's, it's a very good point. And I suppose a, lo a lot of people would look at it as, as pressure. And there is an element of it. But one thing I'm incredibly fortunate about is is uh the fact that all, all the family's been so supportive um you know the direct family with mum dad and my sister are right behind me doing it uh but also my granddad as well and you know i think he's he's certainly 
uh, happy to see me trying to bring the family company back to life. So I think there's there's an element of pride there. And, you know, that's that's part of the reason of, of why we're doing it as well. I think, you know, ultimately, I recognise how fortunate I am to receive a gift like this and, and not many people get this kind of opportunity. And uh, there's definitely been points in, in the whole journey where you think, do you know what, you could you could go and sell all the casks. You could, you could wipe your hands with it. You could sail off into the sunset on a little yacht, having sold some expensive whiskies and, and, you know, finish the, finish the story there. But when you've received a gift instead of, you know, of, of getting it any other way, I, I feel like there's, there's got to be an attitude of, of repaying that somehow. And, and I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to think that what I'm doing through kind of retelling the family story and bringing it back to life is something that my granddad is going to be quite proud about. And certainly from what I've shown him so far, he seems, he seems right on board with it. So, you know, it'll be a really nice moment. As soon as we've got that first whiskey officially bottled, he's the first person to get one and uh, yeah, have a, have a little dram with him. Nice. Very nice. Cool. Well, I've got two bags of porridge downstairs. Uh, you bring a bottle of 50 year old Glenlivet Finn. <laughs> Uh, I'll bring a couple of bottles of Cameron Brig and we'll get on with it. <laughs> don't, oh, don't joke about it because I, that is uh, that's one of the things we're going to be doing. I want I want to I want to recreate some of these these epic journeys and uh, the one thing my granddad always tells me about them is that people only ever did them once. There were no there were no repeat attendees. Is that right? Is it? <laughs> uh, I think it's one of these ones that can look really good on paper, but the the realities of storming through you know muddy scotland with midges everywhere and no food and sleeping they didn't even bring tents so you know they slept wild so um you might need more than one bottle of whiskey to, to make an enjoyable experience <laughs> brilliant. brilliant and finn just for anyone listening that may have not not have heard of finn, finn thompson whiskey where can they find it what's the website what's all that kind of good stuff yeah uh, the website is www.finthompson.com which we're very lucky to have managed to steal um but yeah stock will be going live we're, we're launching in the uk uh the netherlands belgium and italy as a, as some initial markets in the uk i'm trying to work with you know a number of really good uh retailers i think it's always good to support all the, all the guys that talk so passionately about all the different uh whiskey brands around so Guys like Aberdeen Whiskey Shop, uh, Green Welly Stop, Wood Winters, Villeneuve Wines, Omen Whiskey Shop. You know, all these guys will have will have stock in, uh, and there'll be a few online shops as well. We're not selling any direct from our website. We want we want to kind of push people in the direction of of retailers. So um, follow us on on Instagram as well, which I think is uh, just Finn Thompson Whiskey, and we'll we'll do lots of posts about where you can pick up some bottles. Well done, mate. Congratulations. And we look wow. forward to more from you. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. And I appreciate the time. <laughs>